Our help is in the name of the Lord, so let us worship the Lord our God. I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your works and muse on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is so great as our God? You are our God, you are splendor. You have set us free like the light of the Holy God, we praise you, for you ignite within us a fiery passion for your mission in the world today. Warm us by the Spirit's dancing tongues of flame, that we may feel your kindling blaze within, urging us to do your greater good. Make us wholly present to experience a new birth and awaken possibilities within us to share your love in the world. In this love and abundance, we come to celebrate your harvest, to offer you our thanks and gratitude, the fruits of our labor and lives, through our worship of you, our God and Creator.
seated. Grace and peace to you and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered in this space and also everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather together in the name of the Lord. And because it is in God's name that we have gathered, our word of welcome is one extended with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. All are welcome in the house of God, so all are welcome here at First Church. We do ask members and guests alike kindly to sign the friendship pad, which is on your pew. Sign it, and if there's anyone else on your pew, send it down and back again. But even if you are the only person on your pew, kindly do sign it, because that is our means of contact tracing in the event that we would need to notify you of anything. We would be delighted also if members and guests would join us for a time of fellowship at the conclusion of this service in Old Buttonwood Hall. That is just out this door to my right down a short ramp, and there you will find that our deacons have prepared some light refreshments, but most importantly, the opportunity for us to speak to one another and to engage, to, with, engage with one another in our common life. The announcements portion of the bulletin is a bit on the sparse side this week because it is summertime and we are moving into our summer lull, as I wrote to you in the messenger, but that doesn't mean there's nothing going on in the life of the church. So I encourage you always to look at our church website for updates on ways that you can plug in more deeply to the life of faith. I would also like to say pastorally, there are seasons in the life of any nation, of any church, when emotions seem to be at a higher pitch than others, and we are surely in one of those seasons at this very moment. I would say to you that my sermon today does not directly deal with the rulings of the Supreme Court this week, but whether or not it speaks to them is the business of the Holy Spirit, and frankly, the meditations of our own hearts. But with that being said, our denomination, the Presbyterian Church, does have a stance, and I would not want you to be in the dark about that, so I have printed off a statement from the Washington office. I've only put it, printed off 10 copies, but it's available on our church's Facebook page if you wish to read more than that about it. I would like to tell you that there is one line in it that speaks to the core of our identity as Presbyterians, and thinks, I think says everything that needs to be said, and that is this, that God alone is the Lord of the conscience. That is a central tenet of what it is to be Presbyterian, and I give that to each of you as we consider what the Lord is saying to us this day. As a family of faith, we share together moments of great joy, and we share as well moments of sorrow. And it is with a heavy heart that I notify you now of the death of Bob Cole this morning. Bob was a longtime member of this congregation, a fabulous musician, and we will miss him tremendously. A funeral service arrangements are pending, and you'll be notified by email when those have been finalized. Let us pause now and give thanks to God for the life of Bob Cole. Let us pray. Eternal God, from our first breath to our last breath, we abide with you and you abide with us. We give you thanks this day for the life of Bob Cole. We are grateful for his friendship and for all that he meant to so many members of this congregation and to the greater community. We ask your blessing on those who mourn, that they would be strengthened and comforted in your holy word. Through Christ our Lord, we pray all these things. Amen. Now, with all of these things noted, let us continue in worship with our confession of sin. Knowing that we worship a God who is merciful and just and quick to forgive, let us turn to God in confession, first together and then in silence. Eternal God, you have loved us from generation to generation. You have shown your faithfulness more often than we can recall. The stories of the Bible tell us of your steadfast mercy. Yet we live as though it would be better for us not to know. We live holding on to past hurts. We are not open to your new creation. We prefer the safety of what we know to the excitement of discipleship. Forgive us, we pray, and make us again as you would have us be. We make all of our prayers in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
despite our resistance, we can be assured that God's strong arm redeems the people. God calls us back to God's realm and encourages us with a love we can never lose, no matter how hard we push back, no matter how often we forget, no matter how far we stray. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our first scripture reading this morning comes to us from Galatians. In the fifth chapter, we'll hear the first verse and then skip to the 13th. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Our second reading comes from the Gospel of Luke in the ninth chapter. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a, a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of air, the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Our third reading is taken from the book of 1 Kings. We read there in the 18th chapter, beginning with the 21st verse and continuing 
through the 39th, continue to listen to the word of God to us this day. Elijah then came near to all the people and said, How long will you go on limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, e I even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets number 450. Let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, and put it on the wood, but put no fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire is indeed God. All the people answered, well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many. Then call on the name of your God, but put no fire to it. So they took the bull that was given them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, crying, O oh, Baal, answer us! But there was no voice and no answer. They limped around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, surely he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he has wandered away, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. They cried aloud, as was their custom. They cut themselves with swords and lances until the blood gushed out all over them. As midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no answer, and no response. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come closer to me. And all the people came closer to him. First he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench around the altar, large enough to contain two measures of seed. Then he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. He said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time, and they did it a second time. Then he said, do it a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar and filled the trench also with water. At the time of the offering of the oblation, the prophet Elijah came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your bidding. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and even licked up the water that was in the trench. Then all the people saw it. They fell on their faces and said, The Lord indeed is God. The Lord indeed is God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, 
O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Getting from the altars of ancient Israel to 11 o'clock in the morning at the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia is not going to be a direct flight. But we can get there, I promise you. It is a strange and ancient text, but not, I think, a hard text to understand. Now, it would be easy to look at this text and to make a few wrong assumptions. That God can be proven, for instance, or that God requires our acknowledgement before God will show favor to us. But at this heart, this is a passage about a God who acts, as opposed to an idol who just sits there. And because the difference between them is so stark, this is a text about a God who gives us a choice. There was a modestly successful movie in 1955 entitled A Man Called Peter. It was the screen adaptation of a biography of the late Peter Marshall by his widow, Catherine. Dr. Marshall was, for many years, the pastor of the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C., and also the chaplain to the United States Senate. And parenthetically, our church history indicates that when the two congregations reunited to form First Church, there was a strong push to call Dr. Marshall as the first pastor of the reunited congregation. It is a sentimental film. Rather, frankly, a starry-eyed view of the life of a minister. But it is marked throughout by choices that Dr. Marshall made in his life at key moments. It begins on a foggy night in Scotland where he has failed his examinations at the Technical College in Glasgow. And so throwing his books away, he sets off across an unknown path toward his home, and hears a voice speaking to him through the fog. Then, stumbling over a tree stump in his path, he falls to the ground, and as he reaches out his hands to push himself off the ground, he encounters only air and realizes that he has narrowly missed walking off a cliff into an abandoned quarry. His brush with death pushes him to make a choice that he has heretofore avoided, to leave his native land and to come to the United States where he would pursue education and then a call to ministry. Well, much later in the film, there is a sequence in which Dr. Marshall is preaching on this text, on the showdown between the prophets of Baal and Elijah, and he presents the choice between them. He presents the calling of God as a stark choice. If the Lord is God, then choose. If Baal is God, then follow him. And then he yells the codicil and go to hell. And he slams his Bible down and sits down from the pulpit. Now, personally, I have never been inclined to quite that much rhetorical flourish. But he is right, there is a choice. Now, if you've listened to me preach for any length of time at all, you know that I do not believe God would ever shut the book on us like that. I don't see the gospel as choose this or else you're going to hell. God's redemptive activity in Jesus Christ and, and Christ's saving death are more powerful and mysterious than any sort of black and white turn or burn statement will allow. We, people of faith, Come to God only because God has already come to us. So if I never make another point that you hear, this is the one I would want you to know. That the living God is a God of grace and mercy and endless second chances. 
But this story from 1 Kings presents us with a choice. The choice is laid out by Elijah because King Ahab has engineered a showdown. But in the spirit of full disclosure, King Ahab rarely engineered anything. It was usually his wife, Jezebel, the brains behind the operation, who did the engineering. To say that Jezebel and Elijah's relationship was less than warm is an understatement. In fact, it was white hot with hatred. Their interactions tended to end with statements like, if it kills me, I'm going to kill you. Or, the dogs will surely lick up your blood by the end of the day. Jezebel is a follower of Baal, and 450 of her priests come to the showdown, and it is a theological throwdown on a grand scale. Now, presumably, all 450 priests of Baal probably didn't believe the same thing. They probably believed in 450 different gods. Baal is a catch-all name for the gods of rain or fertility or, or whatever. There were all kinds of different Baals in the ancient Near East, and they had specific rituals that were required to wake them up when needed. The throwdown is staged just as we read this morning. Elijah begins preaching, if the Lord is Baal, fine, follow him. But if the Lord is God, then follow God. The people are silent. Nary a peep. Two altars are to be set. On each is placed a bull that has been sacrificed to their respective God. Baal gets one altar, and the living God, the Holy One of Israel, is given the other. Now the backstory is the people are desperate for rain. And I suppose odds of 450 to 1 might have seemed overwhelming. So the challenge is put. The sacrifice is to be placed on the altar, altar, but not set aflame. The God who answers by fire will win the contest. The priests of Baal are to go first. And so all day long they perform their rituals. Were they of one voice? We do not know. Were they acting out 450 different antics in hopes that one of them might find the right magical combination to awaken their sleeping God? Again, we do not know. The Bible does not tell us any of that. But we do know that they danced and they sweated and they slashed at their skin with knives because the Baals demanded that sort of thing to wake up. And all the while, Elijah mocks them. He can't hear you, he taunts. Scream louder, he jibes at them. Perhaps Baal has gone to the bathroom. You'll have to holler harder if you want him to hear you from the toilet, which incidentally is what the Hebrew implies. All day long they exhaust themselves waiting for their God to answer by fire, and no fire comes. Finally, when the time comes, Elijah repairs the altar of God which has been ignored for so long. He places the bull on the wood, digs a trench, places stones to mark each of the twelve tribes of Israel, God's called and chosen people, and then commands the people in this famine-wracked, drought-parched country to drench their altar with water. They do it. Do it again, he says to them. They do it again. I suppose when hope is running out, you're willing to follow a different path. Do it again, he says. And they do it for a third time. And finally, Elijah prays, and fire falls from the sky and consumes the bull, the wood, the stones, and even the dirt underneath the altar. Have you ever had a moment when something clicked into focus? When something that has been unclear becomes as transparent as crystal, and you are struck by the realization. The people 
choose. The Lord indeed is God, they shout. The Lord indeed is God. Now let me tell you a basic fact of life. You are following something. You have a guide star in your life, whether you know it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not. And what you are following will determine where you are going. If everything is going great, perhaps you're on the right path. But if not, perhaps a change may be in order. This is a story about choice because at an elemental level we choose what we will follow. Not to choose is to make a choice. And it's easy enough to perk along if things are going well, but what about when the wrong seems oft so strong? In those moments, is God the ruler yet? Now here's my problem when preachers glibly declare that you have a choice to make. There seems to be the implication that if you choose Jesus, everything is going to work out just exactly right. That, frankly, is a sort of chummy approach to the Lord of the universe, to my mind. Everything is not going to work out perfectly well. I want to be clear on that. To be human is to have seasons of There are seasons of life, for many this is one of those seasons, that are marked by profound disappointment, deep betrayal, a pervasive sense that one's well-being is not the priority of all. But if you are following Jesus Christ, if you are following the Holy One of Israel, you will know how to get where you are going. If you follow the God who answers by fire, it will not be easy all the time, but you will know where you are going. This is a text about choice, and it is a choice between an idol and a living God. You know what an idol is. It's a substitute. It's a fake. It's a talisman. Take your pick of the terms. Come up with your own. But here is what they all have in common. They are utterly powerless and completely useless. The only power that an idol has is the power that we give it. Contrast that to the God who answers by fire. The God who is alive and untamable, uncontainable, uncontrollable, undeniable. The living God is the God who can uphold us when we are ground down to dust by disappointment. He can raise us up when we are at our lowest ebb. And our life at times seems designed to take advantage of those who have been knocked down to assert one's dominance over the person of another. You can be sure that the living God will always side on the, with those who are suffering. The living God will always side with those who are afraid. The living God will always be there for those who are devastated. And no, this God does not answer on demand. And neither is this God bound to do what we expect, because we are not pulling the strings. Now, between us, we do like to pull the strings occasionally, don't we? We like a little control in our lives in as much as we can get it, don't we? I I'm not ashamed to admit I do like a little control, a little security now and again. It seems safer somehow when we're pulling the strings, leaving aside the truism that what we perceive as safety and security is frequently illusory. There's a wonderful scene in the children's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where the children are querying 
Mr. and Mrs. Beaver about the lion, Aslan, who represents God in the stories. Is he quite safe? Lucy asks. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. That is our God. Safety is not promised. But goodness is, and mercy is too, and grace is promised as well. Oh, you can get from the altars of ancient Israel to a service of worship in modern-day Philadelphia, but only if you know who you're following. You can get really from anywhere to the worship of the Lord if you know who you're following. But because we are speaking of the living God, we must always be humble when it comes to asserting the righteousness of our opinions because the living God does not sleep. The living God never needs to be awakened. And the living God absolutely does not tolerate rivals to exert control over God's people. That's right. The living God is awake. Always. And so, because it is the living God, there's one more thing I should tell you about our worship. And it's this. The object of our worship is always the God who answers by fire. So consider yourself forewarned. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
let us together proclaim our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture reminds us that generosity is a fruit of the Spirit. Let us generously share the gifts we have been given. Let us present our offerings to our God.
all the blessings of this life, we give it thanks to you, Creator God. For families, friends, colleagues, neighbors, and strangers who nurture us that the love of God may grow within, that your love, your word, like a seed, may grow to produce in us good fruit. We pray for the leaders of various nations and cities, that they may lead with strong hearts and gentle hands and generous spirits, with compassion and mercy, with wisdom and grace. May they reflect your will, guiding all their actions and decisions. We pray for people who feel let down by their governments and leaders. May you guide and sustain us all as we work to help create the world you would have us bring into existence, seeking after your kingdom. We pray for those who serve in harm's way, those who live in dangerous places, those who live in areas of war and strife, those who live in fear, those who worry about employment, bills, food, and struggle just to find dignity in life. May your grace bring peace and safety to all people, one to another. We pray for those who suffer from any illness or dis-ease of mind, body, or spirit. Restore these and all those we carry in our hearts to fullness of health, health as only you, O God, can bring. May your mercy shower each of us with healing mercy and love. For those who are dying and for those who have died, we pray. Send forth your comforting love. Give solace to those who mourn. Counsel those who grieve. May your grace surround us like a mantle upon our heads, a shawl upon our shoulders, a hand to hold our hand. We ask that you hear our prayers along with the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Christian theology always seeks to balance two realities of God. Both are equally true. One is God's imminence, that's the nearness of God, nearer to us than our very breath. The other is God's transcendence, that is the otherness of God. God is not just like us, only bigger. So if it seems to you that I am suggesting through this sermon, do not play with fire, perhaps I am, but I am also saying that the God who answers by fire is the God who is as near to us as our very breath, the God we know in Jesus Christ, who calls all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens to come to him and to receive rest. So go in peace to love and serve that Lord. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace, both this day and forevermore. Amen.